Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. Today, my guest is Joe Keithley. Some call him, yes, I get to say this, Joey Shithead of DOA. One of the very, very, very few downsides to being on terrestrial radio is that I can't, can't curse. I felt a little funny just then saying, Shithead, <gasps> I said it again. So this interview is from December 7th, 2017, and you can look up the original program if you want to hear a lot of DOA, which I did play prior to and after his appearance. It's not a pure pressure as much as he didn't pull a playlist, but DOA has so much material, made it pretty easy for me. And that original playlist is wfmu.org slash playlists slash shows slash 76258. Or you can go to the WFMU search and put in interview with Joe. And Joe Keithley will come up. As will Joe Bouchard and Joe Preston and some other great Joes. So we talk a little bit about Canadian politics What's next for DOA? A lot of minutiae, a lot of little, little questions that I've had over the years for him. And uh, where they're headed and uh, how he got there. So stay tuned. My guest is Joe Keithley of DOA. I'm really honored to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, nice to be on. Uh, yeah, I hope your winter is treating you all right out there. I think so. I think that, uh, well, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but I know that you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're one in a million, and we have a lot to thank you for. You laid the groundwork for, you know, a genre of music, and 
how to do things? Yeah, it just uh, kind of worked out that way. I never envisioned that uh, back in uh, 78 when we started or 77 when I started playing punk rock. But uh, kind of, you know, right place, right time, right ideas, I suppose, right? So, you know, it's, it's all been good. And we're uh, doing pretty well. We're working on new material for a new album for next year. That'll be our, uh, believe it or not, our 40th anniversary, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is pretty crazy. So I uh, put it this way. I was a young man when we started. You can do the math after that, right? So. <laughs> well, at least you weren't an old man when you started 40 years ago. Well, yeah, well, I don't think I would have lived that long to do that many records, right? So and that many shows. Yeah. <laughs> can you, um, I mean, you guys started with no map. You just carved your own path. Can you talk about a little bit how things were for DOA when you first started? Yeah, I mean, because uh, we came from Vancouver, which is like... Um, not a small town, but not a big town, and um, it was. But musically and culturally, is a kind of regarded as a total backwater. So there's no, there's no record companies, there's no uh, kind of music industry or anything like that. So uh, we just kind of made it up as we went along, right? It was just um, uh, definitely uh, the DIY approach. We just kind of learned of uh, necessity, and that's how we made things work. So I ended up. Uh, we recorded a single, Disco Sucks single, back in June or May 78, and uh, pressed up 500, and I just started uh, started looking in the back of magazines like Kerrang! and saw people who put on shows or had radio shows or magazines and started mailing uh, copies of the Disco Sucks 7-inch, and uh, the reaction was great. And we were going like, oh, well, okay, well, that happened. That was pretty quick, right, type thing. And we just started... Uh, Playing. So, I mean, um, I tell people now uh, that um, we booked some shows initially by mail. We'd send a letter, hi, we're DOA, we're a punk rock band, can we play in your town? And sometimes the letter would come back, yeah, sure. You know, wow. you know I mean, eventually you get your phone, get a phone number and your phone number, right? But it was just really odd. I don't think the kids today can imagine that. Oh, yeah, no, I uh, definitely not. I know. You know, I remember looking at bands in the back of Maximum Rock and Roll and, you know, writing to them and, and write, you know, having correspondence and stuff. And now we're in an instant kind of world. How have you, mm-hmm. have you adapted to, is there any type of technology that you love, though? Like, like, oh, well, we've got this and this is just a billion times better. Or do you sort of long for the old days? No, I mean, the communication's uh, <clears throat> way quicker. I mean, uh, I'm talking with people around the world really quickly all the time. I mean, we've been to China three times, uh, playing all around the world, and set, that's mostly set up, you know, by, you know, by texting or email or, uh, or Facebook or something like that. We get shows all the time through all three of those channels, right? And um, it, to, to me, it's fine. Um, I mean, it, it, obviously, it's a different world for any band that's starting out now. It's a lot harder because uh, um, there's so much stuff out there that is so available if, it, if you even spend a little bit of time looking for it, right? So, which is a good thing, but then it makes it harder for new bands to get above what I call uh, the noise floor, which is in the noise floor is like, uh, you know, uh, you know, when I started, there was probably like, uh, I don't know, 500 punk rock bands in the world, right? And yes. We did well. Now it's probably like half a million. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can imagine the same thing with gigs. I mean, what kind of places were available to actually play 
when you when the yeah band no started. not much uh, not much we were talking about this uh, the other day with uh, there was doing an interview with uh, another fellow out in the New York area and uh, um, that we did a lot of crisscrossing like we just booked like I sent a record first shows out of town were like in San Francisco at the Mabuhe the fabulous Mabuhe Gardens right which is the home of San Francisco punk rock and yes. uh, we sent him a record, and the guy says, oh, did you want to come and play? So they gave us two nights. Said, no guarantee, no, just a percentage thing. And uh, the first trip, uh, we, um, I went down by train. Um, the, the rhythm section went by bus, and the lead guitar player hitchhiked with his uh, lust ball in his hand. No case. <laughs> he just hitchhiked all the way down to I-5, which is like, uh, you know, a thousand miles down to San Francisco from Vancouver. And we showed up, and we made, made a splash, right? So then... As we started traveling and just sort of like um, took chances and arrived at places, then we quickly became friends with uh, the Black Flag guys. So uh, Chuck, uh, the bass player, and I would always compare notes and go like, uh, hey, uh, that's, that guy up in Sacramento who does shows, does he ever pay? And we go, no, no, uh, he never pays. Don't go with that guy's a scum weasel type thing, right? And <laughs> we'd, just, we'd, we'd share information because these were the two bands that, you know, most people in the old days would have been either the first or second punk rock band they saw was probably Black Flag or DOA. Right, yeah. Was the Hitchhiker, was that Dave Gregg? Uh, no, that was Brad Kent. Oh, okay. uh, the, the, the late great Brad Kent, as Dave is too, they're both uh, neither around anymore. Um, but Brad uh, played in DOA for about six months. He also played in an early version of Subhumans. Oh, and cool. he played in uh, The Avengers, uh, the fabulous Avengers for a while. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah, super. So um, when you, so obviously you are a big uh, advocate of social issues and speaking out is is one of the things that you do, that, that you're known for. Um, when, you, when DOA was on hiatus for a little bit, what was your method for dialogue, dialoguing about important issues? Um. I mean, I, just, I took probably like two years off, like uh, late 90 and through 91. Yeah. And I just ended up uh, uh, working at a job uh, at, a, at a university, and um, which was good because it gave me plenty of spare time to think about more music, right? So it didn't <laughs> take long for me to get back into it. So I, I, I mean, the only voice I would really have was, would be if somebody had to, uh, spoke to me about something and I uh, would try and help them out with uh, with an issue or something like that but it's certainly like a lot easier uh, with the band because we can take issues on uh, head on and you know help people out uh, do a benefit show or record uh, so stuff like that I mean obviously uh, lately I've been more involved in like um, uh, formal politics like in elections and stuff like that but yes. that, that's a little bit different again of course and has that been more recent then I don't know what your timeline yeah, is. Yeah, I with ran politics. for the Green Party out here in uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, BC. We call it um, uh, in 2016 and 2017. Well, earlier this year, mm-hmm. in May, there was a big general election for BC, and it did pretty well. I tripled the Green Party votes, and uh, uh, you know, we're the more stuff maybe afoot. Uh, you know, I might run for city council this coming year, which will be October 2018. Nice. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, we have our uh, tonight our Green Party Christmas uh, social up at a pub, right? So uh, yeah, it should be good fun. Oh, nice! Very cool. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. It's like you have. I mean, the subjects of a lot of DOA lyrics 
really need a real dialogue. It's it's cool that you say things and bring them out and have people be conscious of them. But in order to really make change, you've got to have dialogue with the right people that can actually do something. Yeah, you, you got to try and make an issue. Uh, I mean, I always put it this way, that um, the, the funny thing is that people always think that change comes from the top. But actually, to me, change comes from the bottom. Like, uh, um, you know, what happens is that big business, big government, and big media exploit whatever they think the latest thing is and try and take advantage of that and make money and grab for power and attention. But if you know a really good idea, start from uh, the ground floor up. If you have a, have a good idea, you talk to your neighbor, you convince them. They talk to their neighbor, and spread maybe spreads across your town. If it's a great idea, it might go across your state. If it's a really great idea, it might get across your country, right? So. Um, it, I think that people don't realize quite the power that they have uh, as an individual, uh, as a citizen, um, and they should take more advantage of that. Mm. That's cool. Thank you for that. That's that's um, very important to know. And did did you study uh, law and then get out of it? But was that why you got into politics, or were they sort of not related? Well, I mean, I thought I would be, I went to a university for about half a year, but this is my great academic track record. Um, I thought I was going to be a civil rights lawyer like uh, William Kunstler, who's uh, uh, defending um, uh, defendants after the riots in Chicago at the Democratic Convention in 1968, amongst other things I did. Uh, and I was inspired by him while I was in high school, and uh, I got into university, and then uh, before I knew it, I fell into a punk rock band, and I, I, I never did become a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have some lawyer friends who say to me, Joe, you made the right decision. <laughs> right. Good job. Good job. When you um, when you ran for political office, did anybody um, sort of pull out the like the DOA card in a in a nasty way? And, and how is it like where you live? Is our politics like civil? Are they, you know, respectful? Yeah, of- we're more civil than what's happening in the United States, which is uh, kind of tragic, uh, the polarization that you have going on in your country. I, I follow your politics pretty closely. But yeah. um, people are more civil. I mean, there's there's nastiness, of course. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, you don't want to vote for a punk rocker, right? You know, and you have the occasional person would go like, hey, where's your mohawk, right? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and I just like, yeah, whatever, dude, right? And uh, so... Uh, I, I think there's actually an advantage because people know me. Um, they're not necessarily DOA fans or anything like that, although I obviously I've signed some autographs on the doorstep while you know, canvassing uh, potential voters type thing. Uh, but mostly uh, people go like, oh, yeah, 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 no, you guys have been activists and uh, done all these things, stood up for these causes and helped people. So I get a lot more of that. So the the overall reaction when people realize I'm from DOA is um, 95%. Yeah, yeah, that's good, or that's cool. Oh, good, good. That's, yeah. That's that's great. That's really important. And I, I've i had very few people slam the door on me, right? So, Well, you're a big guy, too. <laughs> well, I usually try to stand back because I don't, <laughs> don't want to be threatening when you're on the doorstep. <laughs> um. Do you have another book in you? Yeah, I've been talking about it. I haven't had time. I'm really uh, sidetracked. Well, not sidetracked, but um, focused on uh, um, writing songs for this upcoming album. I thought I might be partway through one by now and mm-hmm. had talked to a few publishers. But 
Yeah, probably another one, like uh, probably late next year. I mean, it'll be the 40th anniversary, so we're playing on a new album. Um, uh, we're kind of semi-working on a documentary, a new book, uh, um, you know, a bunch of stuff like that over the next couple of years. Like the, the 40th, I mean, because we're not traveling like 300 days a year. Probably, we probably do like 80, 100 shows a year. So the 40th anniversary tour will take us well into uh, 2019, I'm sure, right? So. Wow. Wow, that's... Uh... That's wonderful. I'm I'm going to ask you a couple of sort of like little quick ones. Who are the Who's the family on the Let's Wreck the Party cover? Yeah, that's uh, um, uh, Kathy Claghorn, who used to be married to our guitar player Dave. So you see, oh. Dave's got the silver guitar up above his head. Yes. If people don't recognize the cover, take a look. It's called Let's Wreck the Party, mm-hmm. and it's like a DOA comes and breaks up like. Uh, uh, like a Christmas dinner uh, or a Thanksgiving looking there with a big turkey in the middle. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Dave's about to smash the turkey with his silver guitar. Yes. And so that's Kathy Claghorn, who he later, later married. And uh, uh, the father figure there is our manager, Ken Luster. And then uh, uh, the kid uh, in there is Keep, who's uh, the son of our longtime favorite uh, uh, photographer, Bev Davies, who's got tons of great photos of all the old DOA stuff. Oh, nice. Very, very, yeah. very cute. Yeah. And um, how did the Joey uh, Keith Lee bobblehead come about? Uh, actually, a guy in uh, in Philadelphia, a friend of mine, uh, he's got this company called Agronautics, and uh, they started out doing the bobblehead. The first one uh, they did sold so well, they did some more. And the first one they did was G.G. Allen. Right, so, <laughs> so uh, he's and uh, he's added a bunch of others, you know, like there's Keith Morris and uh, Wendy o. Williams, uh, Jello Biafra, there's an Iggy Pop, and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch, right? I, this look for agronautics, right? Because I, you know, obviously, bobblehead is the term is like um, a copyright term, so or mm. the company name, shall we say? Oh, and, I uh, see. So I didn't he, know yeah, that. It, yeah, it was direct from Philadelphia, so that's pretty funny, yeah. Mm. It's a good likeness, too. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. It's, in it's a... come a long way from the old baseball bobbleheads, because the, the only reason you recognize them because they've got the name on the back of the jersey and the number, right? So. Right, yeah, that is true. You can't tell the difference between some of them except for... Except yeah, for there's their... no real good facial features, right? So. Now, were you brought up in a musical family? Um, no, not at all. I mean, um, my brother played guitar a little bit. My sister played violin, but... There's nothing serious. I just got into drumming when I was a kid. I was like uh, a drummer, like in the high school band, like uh, uh, at concerts, and uh, I was in a marching band that uh, we'd oh. march around and play uh, um, tunes by uh, Philip D'Souza and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I was also in the high school pep band, uh, which we'd play on the sidelines at sporting events for my high school. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! And in the mud and the rain and. Uh, um, oh boy, yeah, we played some really corny stuff. This is back in the early seventies. Did you wear like one of those sort of taller hats with the? No, uh, we didn't that... really have the budget. I always am amazed when I look at uh, college football games in the states, and uh, they have these massive three hundred person bands with like uh, five sousaphones, twenty uh, trumpets, uh, ten tubas, and twenty clarinets, that kind of thing, and. Uh, uh, no, we were much more low budget at uh, Burnaby North, right? So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, what's the um, the backwards lyrics on "Liar for Hire"? 
Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, interesting. That was the time when uh, uh, Jerry Falwell, so I think back that record was oh, uh, okay. um, 1982, came out in 82, but around 80, 81, Jerry Falwell started talking about uh, uh, demonic uh, brainwashing by rock and roll to the youth of America, if you remember back that far. It was just, like, yes. of course, a complete load of crock. Uh, so the backward masking, and I know you can't swear on this show, so Gary Falwell eats fill-in-the-blank at the devil's table. Oh, very nice. And we don't know if yep. he does or not. And what what he eats is something that you leave in the toilet. Ah, well, that, I guess. Yeah, so there you go. He's multitasking or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it said there was all these evil messages coming through backward masking, and we're just like, oh, my God, okay, like, uh, this is like... Uh, yeah, the guy's on thin ice mentally. Yeah, yeah. he was. He's passed away. We know that. Yes, yes. I, I, I hope so. I mean, I think so. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> you did just say I hope so. That's. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! I'm a terrible person. <laughs> no, no, not at all. What um, do you know what the first like what you were listening to when you were like ten, like and when you started to buy records? Yeah, um, I would really uh, CCR was a big thing, right? Oh, um, yeah. And uh, the first record I got, I tried to drum along to was a single was uh, the theme from Hawaii Five O by the Ventures. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, well, of course, uh, my record player was so small. It was one of those ones where you put the lid up, you put the record on, and as soon as the song started, I would drown out the music so I get off time with it, right? So it was very frustrating, right? Um, <laughs> But I remember my first band I got really drawn into as a teenager was Alice Cooper. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So and I tried to go see Alice Cooper, and my mom wouldn't let me because she went, oh, he's going to hang himself on stage. I, you know, because Alice Cooper was all the the evil sensation at the time, right? He so, was the shock yeah. rocker, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, totally. Like, he wrote the book on that stuff, right? So. Yeah. He's like, later on becoming like a staunch Republican, but whatever. Like he, the early records with the original band were some pretty good stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, speaking of rockers, what's up with Randy Rampage? He's been sort of in and out um, of DOA forever. He's uh, still longshoring. Like he works on the docks. He has for like uh, thirty years. Um, he put out a book. Uh, it's called "I Survived DOA." Oh wow! Uh, I guess the counter to that, what I could write a book like "I Survived Randy Rampage." But, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's doing that, and then he has a band called Rampage, um, which is a pretty good name, but obviously named after himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but they just play like locally; they don't, they've never been on a road trip or anything like that. And there's no records, but the, yeah, they're yeah, they have some good songs. And so, um, yeah, he's around; he's doing okay. So, because um, he was on Northern Avenger, that's the last time that he played with you guys. Right? Yeah, he was also on Win the Battle. So, Brandy was <laughs> back in the band, uh, originally the band from. Um, 78 to all to the end of 81 and then back in the band like in 0102 and mm-hmm. then out and then back in the band for 06 to about early 08 type thing you know but uh after the third time i just went you know three strikes you're out right so so yeah. it's just like a baseball game right so right right but it it, it seems like you put up with him because he, he, yeah, I mean, uh, Randy's uh, Randy's a complete character, put it that way, and is uh, um, uh, full of uh, amazing stories. If you ever get a chance to talk to him, like he's just, uh, um, he's one of a kind, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, uh, I would like to talk to him, actually. He's, he, I'm sure that he would be. Um, when you formed the band, was, were you forming a band in a reaction to anything, or was it sort of just teenage? Well, I mean, we just, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, we, had, we knew about punk rock, right? So Because we saw, like, um, we'd heard the Ramones record, right? And then I mm-hmm. uh, heard the first Clash single and the first um, couple of Sex Pistols singles and... I uh, had seen The Damned on ABC television, like a news report, where the, the Damned's fans uh, destroyed uh, the concert venue, which I thought looked pretty interesting and fun. <laughs> um, and uh, so that, that, that was kind of like the, the start. And then um, so we kind of were thinking about maybe playing punk rock, but um, then the Ramones came to town. Um, this is probably July 78. And... Uh, uh, they played this ballroom, hold about a thousand people, but the problem was they'd only sold two tickets. Oh. So they decided to give away the tickets for free. Uh, so maybe about a hundred of us showed up to go see them, and uh, we were all like amazed. And when we saw them, we went like, "Oh, okay, so that's how you do punk rock." Like that was the the the, the template right there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I did, I'm not alone in this. You talk to any guy, all the guys, original guys down in. You know, Dick Kennedys or Black Flag, Circle Jerks, or, or you know, any you know, bad brains or anything like that. They probably went saw the Ramones and were like, yeah, okay, that's that's how you do it, type thing. And everybody took made their own version from there. Right, right. And uh, what I I have to say, I love the um, the choices of covers that you have that DOA has done over the years. Um, we usually do one a record, sometimes two, but usually try to limit to one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's uh, we always sort of kind of take something and uh, update it or make it our own treatment. But um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's an art to picking out a, a great or a funny song. I mean, uh, obviously, once some stick out like uh, Wars, uh, a really good one. Obviously, yes. um, that was really timely and still is. We still play that one all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that was a bit. Big big success for us up here in Canada was uh, taking care of business by uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Oh, Canada, Canada! Yeah, well, we made a video where we're playing hockey in, in the in the video, and Ronnie Bachman from BTO is our coach in the video, right? So it's like uh, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, yeah. If you look on YouTube, just for DUA taking care of business, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's just like a matter of picking out songs, right? Um, uh, you know the. So I, I don't know what we got a few in mind uh, for this next record. We're rehearsing uh, next week on some of the new stuff, and uh, uh, we have three covers we picked out. But I can't tell you any of them because every time you come up with a good idea for a cover, some another band tries to steal it. Oh, so it's a race to who gets the record out first. Well, yeah, exactly right. Because we uh, when we put out War, uh, for example, on War in Forty Five in nineteen eighty two. We were pretty excited by the version, and there's a great, uh, great mix of it that Tom Wilson did in LA, and uh, and the record company was really excited. They're going, "Wow, this is great!" Right, and then and then all of a sudden we heard that the Jam, who were obviously a much more prominent band at the time, uh, had done a version of War. And we went, "Oh crap!" <laughs> and then you know, the thing was, though, we, then we we found a record with their version on, and it was a really light. Uh, I mean, good, good version, but like a, a soft and soulful uh, version. Like, you know, they were not really a, a rock version. So then we went, mm. ah, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I ever heard that version, actually. 
Yeah, yeah, we were like really uh, disappointed when we heard they put out one because uh, you know their first couple of records are really great records, right? So, yes. Um, uh, but you know, then uh, it turned out to be you know not have much impact, right? So. And yeah, War is one of your classic ones. I love your version of Communication Breakdown. It's so yes, that is a funny one. I don't that that just kind of uh, got thrown up. That hey, we need one more song, and then uh, how about this and. We did it, and then uh, all three of us, uh, I don't know if Dave did, but Chuck, Randy, and I, uh, Chuck and Randy tried singing the lead vocals because I said, oh, too high for me. And um, <laughs> they both sounded horrible, so we scrubbed that. So I sang sang it like in a lower um, octave than yes. what it should be. And um, the funny thing is, if you listen to the very end of the song, frame, this is real audiophile stuff here, right? Going deep here. But the very end of communication breakdown, you hear this really high pitched. That's what's happened. That's the very end of the tape. Uh, the two inch tape ran out because oh, uh, wow. the, the version we did was actually another minute and a half longer. It just kept going. Uh, but you know, when the the two inch tapes go up, they make that high pitched electric sound, electronic sound. So, oh, I'll have so to see. So that's why the song ends there. So it, that's going a bit too deep for most of your audience, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It may not be. I, I can see. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, play that later. End, it's at the end of, uh, or end of side one, uh, hardcore 81. Yeah. Right? So, I yeah. Think. yeah, I have it. I have that record right here. I'll, I'll yeah. play that afterwards, and, and we'll all sit around the radio. And sure, yeah, that's a good way to go out. That's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a funny, uh, and we didn't like my vocals very much, so we put a really uh, big, uh, loopy kind of reverb on it to, uh, um, you know, could kind of disguise it, which is not an uncommon studio trick. Mm -hmm. So, in general, um, do you have faith in humanity? Oh, sure. Just not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I only believe in half of them. The other half I don't trust at all, right? So, right. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you got to have faith in people that they you know, will do the right thing. And generally, they will. Um, depending on how much BS they've been fed previously leading up to whatever that moment when they have to decide to do the right thing. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's the whole thing in this world, isn't it? Like just uh, you just got to know the difference between right and wrong, and you really get that from your parents or whoever, whomever you grow up with. If you don't have parents, you know, whatever, grew up with a family member type thing or whatever, that uh, they, have to, they can't make you... Uh, learn, do what they want to do, like parents always said, oh, my son's going to be a big baseball player or going to be a scientist or something like that, you know, kids always do what they want to do, but parents, the best thing they can do is just show kids the difference between right and wrong, and uh, if you have that, then that's what you do when you're growing up. So I take it you had that growing up? Yeah, I had a, 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 a mother who was very compassionate and uh, from Finland, um, and I had a father who was uh, um, so right-wing that he'd be to the right of Mussolini, but uh, whatever, somehow it worked. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. In, uh, in your life, when did someone say something to you that were just the right words at the right time, either advice or thanks or... Um. I don't know. I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Probably. Well, I think when I liked uh, rock music, uh, um, uh, and my parents didn't like it all. I thought it was just crap and like a, a horrible thing to pursue. 
but my old aunt, uh, Aunt B, uh, uh, she, she secretly wished me Merry Christmas. I think it's pretty good type thing. You should keep going because I want to be a drummer and I wasn't had a lot of drum sets. So she probably gave me the most encouraging words along that line. Awesome. Everybody needs yeah, that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, everybody needs that person. So in terms yes, of... Yes, yes, it's usually not your parents in that <laughs> sense. <laughs> right. Because they won't got plans for you, although they, they, they can teach you good things too, right? So. Yeah, well, I think at some point, I, I think they actually think that they're protecting you, but they don't know when to yeah. stop. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, parents <laughs> uh, desperately want to protect their kids, right? So that's a big part of being a parent, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The um, So now, I mean... You're um, well, and you have the the record label, Sudden Death, Sudden Death Records, yeah. SuddenDeath.com. Um, yeah, people can go to SuddenDeath.com. That's right. Yeah. And are you going to get the DOA hats back in stock? Uh, I like baseball hats. The uh, uh, like the the wool knit caps. Oh yeah, right. In Canada, we call them toques. Believe it or not, toques. Uh, in California, I think they call them beanies or whatever. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, some point or other. I mean, uh, they're yeah, a pretty cool item. We haven't had them for years, so I'll put that in the back of my mind for next year for the 40th anniversary. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I uh, I I had one for years, and my husband just sort of started wearing it, and now I, you know, like. There's a funny story. We were playing with uh, Di. Uh, it was about 15 years ago. Casey's a friend of mine, and um, I gave him one of those DOA uh, beanies and. Uh, uh, wool hats, and um, uh, because before the show they were playing, and he lost it, and he kept going over the microphone. If anybody's got my D, I lost my DOA beanie. If you're stolen, like you, you know what, you're in trouble. Joe is going to beat that living crap out of you if you don't give that back. And I'm looking <laughs> like, there's some pretty big guys here. I don't know about that. Right, <laughs> he just kind of threw you into the ring, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and he did this about three times. I want my beanie back. Joe's going to take care of it if you don't give it back. I go, like, thanks, Casey. You know, but he's a funny guy. That is funny. <laughs> so, um, in terms of, I know, um, oh, you had a talk show for a little while, didn't you? Yes, it was called The Joe Show, strangely enough. Uh, it was an internet uh, radio show in 02, around there. Mm-hmm. 0203, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't a music show. We did have bands on, but just infrequently. We also had, like, politicians. Like, we had ex-premiers of BC, um, artists, uh, comedians, uh, which were probably the best the best part of the show, I thought. And, uh, yeah, we just interviewed them, and it was like a late-night thing. And uh, the station went belly up after about eight months. They, they spent too much money, and partners disagreed about everything, and uh, that was it. So mm. that was the end of my talk show career. I Kevin, there would be much more interesting uh, than some of the guys out there now. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How were you when you had politicians on? Did you bring on politicians that had opposing views, or did you? Um... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, I mean, I had a few people on there involved in land scams and stuff like that, and uh, um, you know, uh, you know, and they'd give them a chance to um, uh, defend themselves. Right. So. You know, we'd have also the hockey greats on, too. We had, um, we had Gordie Howe and Bobby Hall. And, oh, wow. Uh, some of the old guys from their original, like, great heyday of the Montreal Canadiens and stuff like that. So. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, no, it was fun, right, yeah. Gordie Howe was a thrill. Like, he was uh, amazing, right, so. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, uh, and, and so um, 
what do you feel for yourself now? Like, like you've been in DOA for 40 years, and it's been That's right. sort of like the background. That's right. You know what I got there, Diane? I got a double life sentence. I never. I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. No. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. It's like you know, and sometimes the band is in the background, and sometimes it's in the foreground. Like in terms of like the fabric of your life, it's like there's family, there's there's other jobs. That, you know, there's all kinds of things. When when it all shakes out, like what do you see that's sort of like the common thread that keeps you doing? DOA for this long, and you must have some kind of commitment, you know, that's sort of... Yeah, I mean, I just take it uh, like uh, that, you know, somebody has to fight the fight, right? So, and uh, uh, one fellow I met, uh, played a show with one time, and met him twice, and it was a big inspiration to me, was uh, Pete Seeger, and um, he was amazing. Uh, He kept playing, he was an activist, a songwriter, uh, um, did a lot of great, stood up for a lot of... Stood up for justice, mm-hmm. and uh, he kept doing it right to his like ninety three or so, you know. Uh, so like, uh, if I can do a quarter of what uh, Pete did, then I think I'll be doing pretty good, right? So. Wow, wow, I, that's a that's really really interesting. It's the of course I do know who he is, and of course the music yeah, put it, me it puts me in a totally different pocket there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like uh, punk rock uh, was really an extension of folk music. Uh, you know, not with every band, but with a lot of bands. You know, it's like the folk music is supposed to be uh, telling the story of the people. You know, and it has been for hundreds of years. So, uh, just the same way, uh, you know, rap music was when it came out, right? Uh, that kind of thing, right? It's that uh, you have uh, people in difficult situations and they they write about struggles, and uh, uh, that's kind of what you do. So, I mean, it's all folk music in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, I do, I do get that. It's just a, a really an interesting. Like I've got a little light bulb going off over here. Like, oh wow! It's a good thing. I'll probably be doing some folk festivals this summer mm-hmm. in Canada, like just acoustically, right? So, and, uh, oh. I've done that before. I haven't done it for a while, so we're revving up to try and try and do that. Book some of those. So, uh, yeah, um, I want to thank you so much, uh, so much for having me on and taking up so much airtime. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, I just want to appreciate your investment of your time and your life. Like, just your your passion for, for things that matter is really important. Yeah, no, and, I, I, no I pre- I've been, yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I'll keep on keeping on. That's what, that's what I do, right? So just to keep working on everything. And like I said, uh, you know, um, everybody can bear this mind. Talk minus action equals zero. So that's it really is the bottom line in a lot of ways, right? So Perfect. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Have a good day. Okay, well, take care. All right. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Joe. You can look up uh, DOA songs and buy materials on the Sudden Death website, which is suddendeath.com. And look forward to hearing a 40th anniversary album from them in 2018.
And that concludes another podcast episode. Thanks for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze, and Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. My regular WFMU program right now airs Thursdays, noon to 3 p.m. For an expanded version with lots of music, wisecracks, ticket giveaways, music news, and other fun stuff, check me there. The full link to my index of WFMU programs, including podcasts and regular radio shows, is wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. That's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if if there is something that you'd like to see reposted, whether you missed it or whether you just loved it and want to hear it again, drop me a line at diane at wfmu.org and request that. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you like it. Please rate it and review it. And there you go, WFMU peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.